0: Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: <coughs> the second reading <coughs> excuse me, the second reading is taken from Luke chapter one, verses 67 to 79. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness of peace. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Let's try that again. We can hear you. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back, sit up here. Congratulations to make it to the 4th of December. I feel like officially declaring this the day where it's warmer in here than it is out there (laughs) because it's about two degrees out there and it feels a little bit warmer than that in here. And I'm really excited to be sharing with you this morning what God has been speaking to me about over the last couple of weeks. When I found out that today's Advent Candle was about the prophets, I got really excited because I love reading the prophets and the minor prophets. Prophecy is like going up on the stage in the theatre, peeking behind the curtain and having a look in the wings and seeing what the actors are wearing and what props they're about to bring on. Prophecy is sometimes described as hearing what God is saying that and being courageous enough to share that with others. And although the prophets never really perfectly told absolutely everything that was about to happen, they were a good barometer as to how God felt about things and a good foretaste of what was to come. That's why I think prophets and the gifts of prophecy were and are really important. For me, prophecy is that thing that reminds me that God isn't a dead thing in a book that we read about, but that he is living and breathing into our here and now. And although prophecy can sometimes be a bit scary or a bit confusing, I think there is also something really beautiful about people stepping out in that prophetic gift. Just a few moments ago, we heard two readings. The first one was from Isaiah and the second one was from Zechariah in the book of Luke. Now, if you don't know who Zechariah is, he is the father of John the Baptist. And there's about 750 years between the two readings today. And they both say about the same thing. Now, Isaiah was a prophet to the people of Israel. He lived amongst these people and he was heartbroken about all the ways they had turned their back on God, all the ways they were making a mess and a mockery of his kingdom. And from that conviction, God calls Isaiah out to be a prophet to the people of Israel. And in the midst of oncoming doom and certainty, God's word comes to the people of Israel and says, God still has a hope for you. There is something incredible coming that's going to break through the darkness and shine bright. And I can almost hear with the anticipation building as Isaiah says these words, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace as creation looks again with anticipation, with bated breath for its savior, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh, is the culmination of every single promise that Israel ever clung to. And they've been waiting for a long time to see this king who would change everything forever. Whenever I read these words from Isaiah, it feels to me that Christmas and all the hope it brings are tied up in the air around these words. They are living and breathing still. What Isaiah said did come to pass. Jesus came, he died, he saved his people, he brought freedom. But Jesus is still pushing back the darkness. Jesus is still seeking out his children. Jesus is still increasing his reign of peace. So this morning, we're going to be talking about Jesus, no surprise there, Um, but Jesus as our Prince of Peace. And I must admit that when I started pulling my plans and thoughts together for this sermon, I did not particularly feel peaceful at all. (laughs) That's my little confession for today. I did not feel like a person full of peace. And my question to God was, how can I stand here and talk to you about peace? with a heart full of frustration and a mind full of questions and what god said to me was come deeper still so this morning i'm going to share with you about drawing deeper how in jesus peace is something that we have but also something that we experience and how fixing our eyes on him is integral for god's purpose to all people all things everywhere so a picture is going to come up on the screen next. I must admit, this is not the picture that I wanted to show you. I have spent hours trying to find the picture of a bird in peace that won the Albert Fries Prize years and years ago. And the thing that struck me about the photo was this beautiful bird that was not ignorant of its surroundings, but displays a level of rest and contentedness despite them. This picture, unfortunately, does very little in comparison to the one <laughs> that I wanted to show you. But I hope you get the picture. Despite being surrounded by barbed wire, this bird has found a peaceful place to rest its feet. I've also trolled through the internet, as I do, looking for definitions of peace. And there are tons you'll come across. You might find some that say truce or freedom, belonging, quietness, stillness or atonement. And as much as I love all of those definitions I found, I didn't feel that any of those words quite went far enough to describing peace. They were political or interpersonal until I came back to the Jewish word, shalom. Now, shalom is a concept and it's all embracing, embodying all of those words I've just read, but also peace, harmony, goodness, prosperity, welfare, wellness, tranquility. At its root, it has the total restoration to things, the total restoration to how things are meant to be at every single level. So that's not just us, that's creation and the environment and everything else. Shalom is so encompassing, it engulfs all of those things. This is the peace the Bible refers to. A restoration of all God has imagined and all that he has promised. We often limit peace to the absence of active or violent conflict. We hold it as a political tension that often has very little to do with shalom. Don't get me wrong. If I were stood in the Ukraine right now in a war zone, the thing that I would want would be for the war to stop, for bullets to stop flying, and I would want to no longer be afraid. But is that all that peace is? Up on the screen next, you've got Loads of Nobel Peace Prize winners. The Nobel Peace Prize has been given pretty much every year since 1901, with the exception of a couple world wars. And it's given by the Nobel Peace Panel, and in their opinion, it's given to the person or organization who encourages friendship between nations, encourages the reduction or removal of arms, and facilitates activities which promote peace. It didn't take much research to find that most of the people on this screen who'd been given the award were rich or influential or well-connected or objectively powerful. But is peace primarily about position, power, and influence. The peace which God speaks of is much grander and all-encompassing than what our typical images of peace suggest. We often hold too shallow a view of peace. So like I said in our first reading, Isaiah describes Jesus as our prince of peace. And that is a phrase we probably are not too familiar with. We're probably more familiar with the term prince of Wales because that's a person that we can point to. He kind of reigns over a nation. You can kind of point to his little area of jurisdiction. And to us, that makes sense. If somebody here could give me the map to the place called peace, I would love a copy, please bring it, I would like frame it and put it above my desk. If someone could show me the, the roadmap to the place called peace, I would love to go. But perhaps it's easier for us to think about Jesus being a prince of peace by thinking about what princes actually do. Princes are often an ambassador, the delegated presence and authority of a kingdom, monarch or nation on foreign land We recognise ambassadors as important people. They make significant decisions on behalf of the nation that they serve. They are at the pinnacle of the consulate, a building and an organisation which is a little outpost of that country on foreign soil. That place can be a refuge, a place of help and safety. Now, about six years ago, my brother decided to take a career break, gap year type thing. He went traveling. He did Australia, New Zealand, and Asia, and he was gone for about nine months. As I'm sure you can imagine, a trip like that requires tons of planning, tons of anxiety on the part of me and my mum, thinking that he's going to be somewhere really far away for a long period of time. But off he went. He got on the plane, and his first stop was New Zealand, where he went to see some friends with a VW camper van, which he parked outside. And the next morning, when he woke up, he found that his camper van had been broken into and they had taken his money, his tickets, and his passport. It only takes losing your passport in a foreign country to realize that an ambassador and a consulate are really, really important things. Without an ambassador and a consulate, my brother's plans would have been toast, or at least very, very compli- complicated, and I was, for one, very, very stressed at the time. We are so grateful for the ambassador and the consulate who were able to get his plans back on track. Jesus is God's ambassador, establishing outposts, consulates of heaven where we are. He is God's presence with us, and he's been given authority by God to rule and reign, and amazingly, he chooses to call us co-heirs with him, partners in establishing little outposts of heaven in the places that we are. The next thing we might see a prince doing is offering hospitality, hosting dinners and lunches and meetings, extending a warm arm to the little and the least and the big and the great alike. They are often the face that we recognize, the hand that we may actually genuinely one day get to shake. They are the presence of their ruler in a form we recognize. And princes and princesses who do it best are often people we may even see bits of ourselves in. They're human. They're like us. Jesus is God in human flesh, acquainted with our griefs and struggles, joy and gladness. He is God in a form that we recognize and find easier to comprehend. And he reaches out a hand and says, come, come in. Take a seat, come eat with me, come talk with me. Jesus offers that hand of hospitality out to all of us. And it only takes looking at Zacchaeus up in the tree to realise that God isn't funny about who he invites in. The third thing we might see a prince doing is advocating. Using their voice and their power on behalf of people, places and things to see things change. They lend their ears to problems and listen to the challenges that are happening within their kingdom. And they raise their voice to make a change. Jesus is our advocate. In the nine o'clock service when we were reading the Eucharist words, Jesus in that pamphlet is described as our advocate. He helps us see God clearly. He comes and invites us into God's presence. He draws us nearer. He stands in the gap between us. He stands in the gap of our sin and shame and makes a bridge between us and God. He is also the friend who turns up unannounced when you didn't think you needed to see them to have the conversation that you didn't know that you needed to have. Jesus does all of these things to create a wider and wider and wider path for Shalom. per still. So how do we find Peace. Peace is not just something we experience, it's something that we have. It's a desire that we hold in our heart, and it's an intention in the direction that we set our feet. Peace is a journey that we go on with Jesus. Peace is at its deepest level, letting Jesus take you by the hand and hearing him say, come deeper still. And on that journey, you will find revelation about who you are and who God says you are. Peace is also facing death, whether literally or figuratively, knowing Jesus awaits on the other side, arms stretched wide, still saying, come. At the time of Jesus, the Jews fell into the trap of believing peace was really narrow-minded, like the descriptions we saw earlier. They thought that peace and Jesus' coming was just political. They believed the Messiah would come in, he'd flip over tables, he would turf out the Romans and Israel would be back on top. That is what they were waiting for. That's what they were holding on for and holding out for. And we see this in both Isaiah's prophecy and Zechariah's prophecy about boots of war being rolled up and thrown on the fire and being let out from under their enemies. The Jews really hardly held on to that belief that Jesus would be a militant man who would put things right and set them straight. They were holding their breath for that freedom. At the end of his prophecy, Zechariah, however, says something quite powerful, referring to Jesus and to his son, John the Baptist. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Jesus is our path of peace. I think there are three ways we avoid falling into the trap of thinking that peace is just a political thing. The first thing is knowing and recognizing Jesus. The Jews in the time of the New Testament saw Jesus, they walked with him, they talked with him, they ate with him, but some of them didn't recognize him, the face of God amongst them. He didn't quite look, sound, or behave the way that they wanted him to. And we run the risk of missing Jesus in just the same ways. Do we know Jesus for who he is, as opposed to who we would have him to be? In Isaiah 30, the prophet goes on and says, you will hear a voice behind you telling you which way to go, whether to turn left or to turn right. That voice will say, this is the way, walk in it. When Jesus calls us out and says, come, do we recognize his voice? Do we hear him? Do we know that that is Jesus calling out to us? I think the second thing that we can do, and it sounds really basic, follow him. Follow Jesus. Jesus holds his hand out to every single person. You can't be too big or too small, too wide, too African, too Indian, too British, too white, too crazy, too normal. There is nothing (laughs) at all that prevents God from stretching his hand of hospitality out to us. And the invitation is the same for every single one of us. Firstly, come, and secondly, come deeper still. Last week, Andy talked about us walking one foot in front of the other, one step, and the other, and then the other, and the other, and doing and being committed to that walk with Jesus. And knowing Jesus takes time, energy, and effort, but it's also risky business. The more you know Jesus, the more he shines his light into your darkness. None of us come to Jesus and have the liberty of staying the same. He changes us from one degree of glory into the other if we let him and if we accept that invitation to come deeper still. Walking with Jesus is that very thing that draws us closer and deeper to God and to peace. The third thing we can do is to walk in passive peace, visions that are going to bring shalom. Now, I must admit, I've spent a lot of time whilst preparing the sermon trying to avoid the thing that I hear people say every single time they preach about peace. Peace with God, peace with the world and others, peace with yourself. But I've come to realize that this position is is an integral foundation to walking in paths of peace. When was the last time you examined your heart to see if hidden in there was hostility towards God? A small thing can become a deep-seated resentment. And before you know it, you are in a state of ceasefire with God, not shalom. When was the last time you looked at the world around you and recognized a lack of harmony, anger, distrust, and fear? And I'm not just talking about what we see on the news about wars abroad. I'm talking about in our families, in our homes, in our friendship groups, in our workplaces, in our church. When you recognize those things, what did you choose to do? Who did you choose to be in that situation? Did you just settle for tolerance? Did you speak with all, speak and wish for all of God's goodness and wellness for the other? Or are you living in a flimsy peace agreement? When was the last time you looked at yourself and made peace with who you are and where you are? One of the things that God has been speaking to me about again and again and again as I talk about peace is that there are some of us who don't have peace with ourselves. Today, you might feel disappointed in who you are or where you are. And that disappointment might have led you to believe that you cannot reach out to Jesus' outstretched arm. You may think that you need to do a load of things and become something or somebody else in order for Jesus to reach his hand out to you. Today, the thing that Jesus wants you to hear is the voice that has been telling you that is lying, categorically. Jesus does not withhold his hand until we polish ourselves up and make ourselves shiny enough for him to like us. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you that peace is making peace with who you are and where you are knowing that Jesus already holds peace for you. In all of these things, what we need to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. It's integral to us experiencing peace. He is our Prince of Peace, blazing the trail and leading the way. A few of you might know that my name, Sepharkah, means God has given me peace which is hilarious because I don't often feel like a person of peace. If you ask my family, sometimes I am a fretty stress head. And if you were to ask me to describe my internal situation, peace is not often the word that I would use to describe myself. God certainly does have a sense of humor in that regard. Over the years, however, I've discovered that despite me feeling stressed on the inside, people who come into my surgery sometimes leave and say to me or other people that they felt so calm and so at peace in my presence. And I don't think that's because I'm particularly good or amazing or anything else, but that God's been so good as to not abandon me every time I leave those doors. And for some reason that I can't quite comprehend, he chooses to let me be a little outpost of heaven where I go. Inasmuch as Jesus is with me, his peace goes with me wherever I go. I've learned that peace is not just an experience or a journey or even some political treaty, but it's something that we do get to carry with us as our own little outposts of heaven. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, an evidence that God is with us. And the good news about Jesus is our gospel of peace, telling the breathtaking, breathtaking story of how God wants to be reconciled to us. I want to um, end this morning with s- uh, f- some more photos. There's going to be a slideshow of photos that comes up on there in a moment. And this, these are photos that I found when I was trying to find the photo of the bird <laughs> that I described to you earlier. And they're from the Alfred Fried Photography Award. And this is 2015's winner, Patricia Willock, in her project, Look at Me. I am beautiful. This series of photos was taken in the Democratic Republic of Congo and they had a war and if you know anything about it, awful, awful things went on. And this series of photos tells the story of a girl they have called Esther. From her birth through childhood, becoming a woman, falling in love, getting married, having children, finding a profession, becoming a grandmother, and becoming a vital part of her community. You'll notice in these photos, every single woman and child has a brightly colored dress and a big smile on their face. But every single woman and child in this photo is a victim or product of sexual assault used as a weapon of war against him during the conflict in the DRC. And yet, Esther, bright, vibrant, growing and thriving, despite the violence against her. For me, this series of photos, Esther, fully alive, bright, shining, is a better picture of Shalom than I could ever speak with my own words. This is what God wants. And it cannot exist without you and me, whole and beautiful and glorious, whatever that looks like, entering deeper still, becoming more and more of what God has envisioned from the start. Jesus is reaching out his hand with the invitation, come deeper still. Will you let him walk with you? Will you let him draw you out of darkness, shame and fear into wholeness, and abundance and life. I am going to ask Sai to come back up. As part of our response this morning, we are going to do something a little bit different. I've asked him to sing a song that stuck out to me in the last couple of weeks called Chasing Rebels. And I'm going to let the words of that song speak for itself. And I encourage you to sit, listen, reflect on what it means to you today for Jesus to be your Prince of Peace and to respond in your own way to his outstretched arm inviting you deeper still today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.